This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Did you know that over 85% of cybersecurity breaches happen due to human error? Employees at organizations across the world are too often looked at as the problem instead of the solution. The Living Security Human Risk Management Platform leverages behavioral science, gamification, and a Hollywood-style production to provide training that is 16 times more effective than its competitors. Living Security can help your organization turn your biggest asset, your people, into your best defense against cybersecurity breaches. Check out Living Security by visiting livingsecurity.com to learn more. Thank you, Living Security, for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to your favorite podcast, Hacker Valley Studio. If you're a repeat listener, you know that we love to switch things up. This episode, we've decided to bring you a double header with two guests. This episode is all about education in the context of cybersecurity. We talk about information systems, information management, and even just how to level up the cybersecurity industry. In the studio, we've brought in Dr. S.K. Moreland and Terry Oropeza. In the episode, they'll share a bit about what they do and their backgrounds. Let's jump right into this double header episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Today, we're joined by a friend. We have Dr. S.K. Moreland, also known as H.I.M. Concierge. And that is also the name of your business. I'm excited to learn more about you and also share everything about this conversation with the listeners Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Dr. SK. We had some conversations about you starting a podcast, and we got to geek out a little bit about the nuances <laughs> of podcasting. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Uh, sure. So I'm Dr. SK Moreland, also known as the HIM Concierge, and I am a health information management professional. I've been in that field for about uh, 15 years now. So I've done a wide range of health information roles from release of information to clinical documentation quality, a little bit of revenue integrity, compliance. And it just came about that, you know, with COVID and with just doing a reevaluation of my life in general that I kind of decided to study out on my own and and do something different. So now I am in the education field in addition to running my own business where I help other HIM professionals kind of decide where they want to go with their career. That's fantastic. And what was that that inciting moment for you that you were like, you know what, I want to help other people in their career? How Was there something that happened in your career that felt like that you needed to be that person that you didn't have? Or did you have a mentor that was kind of that person for you? 
You know, it's kind of complicated how I came to this position. So when I first started out in HIM, when I got my credential to say, hey, this is, you know, all the things that I can do, you know, school just kind of tells you these are the type of careers that you could get with this type of credential, but they never really tell you how you can figure out which path is the right one for you. So I had an amazing mentor and she really got my start in HIM, but I didn't get the piece where I would actually get help as, as far as trying to narrow down what that niche was going to be. So I would spend my entire career basically just moving from position to position, trying to figure out what it was that I actually like to do. So during the pandemic, I started a new role as a revenue integrity analyst, and I found myself doing accounting things. And when I first went to school, I tried to do accounting and realized I hated numbers. And um, within this role, I found myself working with numbers again. And I'm like, you know, I hated it then. I hate it now. Let me do some recalibration to figure out what it is that I really want to do. So I had to really sit and think about, okay, well, what is it that you're really passionate about? And it made me think back to my very first job when I was a cashier. And we worked across the street from a dialysis center. And a lot of the patients that came in were repeat patients because, you know, they go to kidney dialysis two, three times a week. And so I was able to develop those relationships with the customers. And sometimes I would have baskets ready filled with the things that they that I knew that they were going to get or we would have conversations and then they would say something. And so I would put the thing that they talked about, like, oh, I need to get tissue or something like that. So I have like little baskets filled with tissue or something ready for them. And so basically thinking about that, I wanted to know how can I do that again? How can I get back to having that relationship with people and also being able to serve them? So this was my way of doing that. What I'm doing now as a consultant and, and working with my clients, I'm able to have that personal relationship with them, but I'm also able to, to serve them as well. So that's one of the reasons why I decided to do this. And I absolutely love it. That is awesome. Following really what you want to do, following your passion and really what makes you happy throughout the day. I wanted yeah. to ask, though, what exactly is HIM? So HIM is health information management. So anything dealing with health information. So most people will know about HIPAA, the Health Information Portability Accountability Act, and basically just um, protects your information. So you have the data analytics piece where you're looking at the data that's input into, uh, into the system. So it can kind of help with patient outcomes. You have information governance where they look at the legislation and the laws to make sure that they're operating within compliance. You have the revenue integrity piece which is the piece that most people know about. When they think about HIM, they think about the billing part. And then you have the informatics piece, which is that IT piece where, you know, it's dealing with portable health records and electronic health records and making sure that all the connections are in there. So that kind of encompasses HIM as a whole. That's the best way to explain it. A lot of people in cybersecurity, they don't necessarily start with a career in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. They might start in marketing or sales mm -hmm. and then find all of the parallels between sales and marketing and cybersecurity and apply those skills there. If you were to look at HIM from a cybersecurity mindset, what are some things that you would explore? Like, what are some of the ways that HIM can break down? Oh, absolutely. So one of the main things I'm thinking about now is that ransomware is crazy nowadays. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody's locked down. They don't have anything else to do. So, you know, I'm thinking about all those health records that are 
potentially that could be breached and what you can do with that health information. I don't think that a lot of people understand how important that health information is and why it needs to be protected because you have social security numbers in there because that's what you need in order to bill out. You have addresses, you have all types of things and you have these ransomwares that are out here that are locking out these records and sometimes hospitals are having to pay to get access to that. So Mm -hmm. that's definitely something that I would look into if I was in the, you know, cybersecurity space. How do we protect that health information? And that's what the health informatics um, side of HIM does. They they make sure our information is safe, especially now that we're going into telehealth. There's an increase in telehealth now, now that we're not going into to offices anymore. How do we keep that interaction between the patient and the physician safe? How do we keep them from having a third party enter into the conversation and, and get that health information that's supposed to be protected? So absolutely, that's, that's something I'm going to look at. Absolutely. You know, on our show, we often talk about superpowers and abilities and purpose. And I don't usually go out on a limb and guess somebody's superpower, but I got a sneak peek of your podcast. I see what you're doing on LinkedIn. (laughs) I'm going to guess that your superpower is being an educator. Would you say that's correct? Or do you think there's a different superpower? I've kind of always, you know, just had the ability to make difficult things you know, easier to understand or easier to to digest. So I've always had that ability. And I think that kind of goes back to childhood. I grew up in a really country town where there were not a lot of, you know, it wasn't a lot of people that were highly educated there. So I grew up around a lot of older people and most of them had like fourth or fifth grade education. And so they saw me and they were always asking me questions, asking me to read to them and things like that. So I kind of picked it up from there where I had that ability to kind of make complex things more simple. But I would say that my gift is just being a connector of people. I love talking to people. I love building genuine relationships with people. I think that that's my gift. And that's one of the things that I offer to my clients also, because I know that for a lot of people, networking and building a relationship is something that's really difficult for some people. So I kind of come in as a person that's like, hey, you know, I know such and such, and I have this type of relationship with them and they would be, you know, willing to help you. So I kind of stand in the gap for them in that way. Too. Yeah, I mean, you definitely got us hook, line, and sinker. So you're obviously a connector. <laughs> I've never really had that where someone kind of like stood in the gap for me in that way. And so I guess I just want to be able to be that for other people because that was something that I didn't get. I was the only child. I was already different going into a lot of the environments that I went into. So I didn't get picked on or anything like that. I had no problem with that. So I wasn't getting bullied or anything like that, but I was just really quiet. I was into the books. And sometimes, you know, they view them differently if they don't do what everyone else is doing. So I always kind of had to forge my own path and do my own thing. And even throughout my career, I had to forge my own path and do my own thing. You know, I was kind of scared to tell my mentor, hey, you know, this isn't working out because I didn't want her to think, you know, you're just a job hopper. You don't know what you want to do. You just all over the place. So I had to do a lot of independent type thinking and networking with a lot of different people and forming these relationships to learn about, hey, well, what do you do? Or how did you find out what you were passionate about? And based off of that, that's when I kind of knew that Again, this was something that I wanted to do. And based on those relationships, I find other people that come to me and they're like, hey, well, do you know anyone who does data analytics? I'm like, oh, yeah, I talked to such and such. And that's kind of where it took off. You know, at the same time, you're describing your superpower, but also some of that kryptonite. And one of the exercises that Chris and I went through with a previous guest, Laura Garnett, 
is finding our superpower plus our core emotional challenge, a thing that might be kryptonite. And for me, mine was not having my value understood. When I wasn't able to help others understand their value, it actually hurt me. And Mm. that actually led me to my purpose. My purpose is to help others understand their value and highlight their greatness. Where do you think your purpose intersects with, you know, that superpower and and challenge? You know, I would kind of say it's the same thing for me because I've always been underestimated. No one really understood the value that I kind of brought to the table. And so I would ask for certain responsibilities or certain things because I knew it was something I was great at doing. And the other person just couldn't see that. I'm like, you don't see all of this magic right here in front of you. I can, you know, you don't see this. This is something I can definitely do. And so I kind of try to bring that out of other people too. Like you have value, you have purpose, and you can bring that to the table and you can bring that into what you do every day. I remember I had one manager that really was against me reaching out to different people outside of the team. And I got my head slapped a couple of times. I just wanted to reach out to someone, kind of brainstorm, like, hey, we're working on the same team. What's going on? And what are your thoughts on this? And, you know, how do you feel about that? And I have, I got my hand slapped because I, you know, wanted to reach out to people. And now you're embarking on this new journey where you're stepping into your own, you're stepping into your own strength. You're going out and betting on yourself. And not only yeah. that, you're communicating that through your podcast. I'd love to hear what that journey has been like and what have you learned along the way? Oh my goodness. That has been, it's been a journey for sure. So I am starting the podcast, HIM Entourage. It is set to go live later this month. And so far I've interviewed maybe about 11 people and I've learned to trust myself a lot. So I am a writer by nature. I love to write. I can write all day. I was originally supposed to be a journalist, but life happened. So I love to write. Oftentimes I'm asked to speak at different things or whatever, but I don't think I'm as great of a presenter or a speaker as I am a writer. So originally when I started doing my podcast, I had the list of questions that I would ask them and everything. And then when I was listening back to it, I was like, you know what? It doesn't really sound like sound like me. So I've learned to, you know, kind of let go of that and to just let things flow, trust myself a bit. So that's been the biggest lesson that I've learned. I mean, because if I was just having a regular conversation with anyone outside of knowing that I'm recording, it would be a natural conversation. The conversation would flow, you know, everything will make sense. But relying on the paper really kind of took away from that. So I've learned to trust myself and my instincts when it comes to having conversations with people. And what else have I learned outside of the technical pieces and how much work goes into it and the editing and everything else that I don't want to do? I have learned... (laughs) I mean, I've done it, but, you know, it's a great learning experience because I can say, you know, at least I can appreciate the time that other people put into doing things like that. So it does help me understand the value that that brings. I'm glad Chris asked the question because you're so right. There's so many things that you learn when you're podcasting. You learn about communication. You learn about the technology. You learn about other people and how to interact with others and build a report. What kind of communication tactics have you learned since starting your podcast? 
Well, honestly, I just kind of keep it the way that I, I do everything. I love to speak with people off the record. So I'm an energy driven person. So I'm, I'm very empathetic also. So I can tell like instantly between 30 seconds of me talking to you, what type of energy you have and if it's going to mesh. So if there is no type of, I guess, meshing of energies when I'm talking to someone that I'm like, uh, no, I'll just keep you on the side or, <laughs> you know, so I've, I've learned that also to trust my instincts in, in that manner. So when you trust your instincts, that that's really telling you something that's telling you either something is good, bad, or you just don't quite know you need more data. When right. it came to doing your own job, your own company, how did you gather that data in order to know that you were going to meet the need of your customers? Right. So one of the great things about me and uh, not about me, I hate saying that thing, but one of the great <laughs> things about my experience has been that I've had this ability to work within pretty much all four areas of, uh, of HIM that I talked to you guys about. And so based on that experience, um, I was able to come up with an assessment where I would have a couple of scenarios and then I would answer, have different answer choices based on each of those four areas in HIM. And so based on your answers to those questions, it can kind of point you in the direction of what career, you know, might be suited for you. And that was just a sample, of course, um, but I, I tested out with a couple of people, really got some great feedback on it. And since then, that's kind of, you know, the driving force, I guess you can call it like the most valuable product that I have so far is this HIM career assessment. And a lot of people really like it. I spoke with um, one of the governing boards for um, one of their accrediting agencies and they were interested in it also. So just trying to develop it a little bit more. What are the four areas that you were talking about for HIM? So you have informatics, information governance, data analytics, and you have the revenue cycle piece. So those are the four areas of HIM. What are you hoping to do with this podcast? Because with podcasts, you can definitely reach your target audience and affect them in any type of way. You can give them more information. You can inspire mm -hmm. them. What is the ultimate goal of your podcast? So I want to be able to do all of that. So not only do I want um, people to go away with, you know, learning more about perhaps the field of interest. I just want people to know what the options are. Because again, when people think of HIM, they usually just think about the revenue cycle piece. So there's a lot of coding that you might hear about that most people think about when they think about HIM, but there are so many different things about HIM that you could do, so many different areas. Like there was just a, someone posted the other day about um, a health information management professional being on, uh, on the NBA team for the Washington Wizards. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that that was there. And you have Apple and Google that are looking for health information management professionals because they're trying to get into to healthcare into that space. And so I really want to bring awareness to the field because no one wakes up and says, you know what, I'm going to be a medical records implementation manager when I grow up. No one says that. So I want it to be on the forefront of a lot of a lot of people's minds. So when they think about going into healthcare, because most people that go into healthcare, if they don't want to do um, deal with the blood work, they want to go into the administrative side, but they don't know what those options are. So I want to bring awareness to the different careers that are within HIM. But I also want to talk about different things that affect us in the workplace. So mental health, I want to talk about that too, and finding mentors and and how to have these conversations with people that you don't know, how to build your network and how to craft your resume. I want to have like a full-fledged 
conversation. And I want people to be able to walk away with something that they can use in their professional lives. Incredible. I want to thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us today and talking to us. For the folks out there that want to know more about you and all the great things that you have coming up, what are the best ways that people can do that? You can hit me up on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. That's my most favorite platform of all time. Ours too. LinkedIn.com slash the HIM concierge or Shakira Moreland. I'm also new to the Twitter space. One of my um, Generation Z friends was like, you need to get on Twitter. I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) So I'm on Twitter at the HIM Concierge. And you can also go to my website at www.himconcierge.com. Awesome. We will be sure to put all of that into the show notes. And if you're feeling risky, you know, Gen Z also says to get on TikTok. But we'll we'll save that, right? We're not on TikTok either. Yeah, you know, I know how to stay in my lane a little bit. So, you know. (laughs) Awesome. Dr. SK, it was great speaking to you. Bye. Now we're going to switch gears a bit and speak to Terry Oropeza. We originally met Terry at the Technology Workforce Collaborative Summit and got to learn all about the things that she's doing to support the industry and the nonprofit she helps to support, HDI. We thought it'd be great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us and welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Terry, when we were talking with you during the summit, we loved your focus on education. You know, we're all about education and learning. And we talked a little bit about your journey. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. So I am, quote unquote, retired. I was an IT manager for a software company in Mountain View, California, called Synopsys. Um, I actually went there to work for a one-month contract in, uh, to, in 1995 and stayed for 23 years. So it can't um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 18 years of that time was as what's commonly referred to as the help desk. We called it the IT Global Solution Center and um, was involved in all aspects of supporting all the departments of IT at Synopsys. And, So I didn't originally um, start out to be in any kind of tech career. In fact, my original my original vocation was to be a teacher. When the sixth grade, I had one of those amazing teachers, and I wanted to be a teacher because she was um, very inspirational. Eventually, I graduated from high school and I went to school as an English major. Very quickly realized that they were not my people. Uh, Mm. (laughs) Talking about things and poems and I'm like, what are they talking about? It's just maybe too tangible of a person. So I settled in and um, got a teaching credential in PE, physical education, and a minor in theater arts. But unfortunately, I graduated in the year in California that there was a major tax change. Um, Anybody that was around California at the time knows what Prop 13 is, but it basically changed the way the schools were funded in such a way that teaching jobs, especially sports and physical education and theater arts were not very, were not, not very forthcoming. So, you know, I didn't set out to be in a STEM or tech career. So got a job, fast forward, I opened a desktop publishing service bureau in 85 when the uh, Apple introduced the laser writer. I thought it was pretty cool. So began what then eventually became known as desktop publishing. But at the time, we didn't have a name for it. It was uh, it was an amazing journey. It was so cool 
to go to Macworld and be part of this very small group of people that were doing these very cool things and had, you know, our own system in our shop in a neighborhood in San Jose, published a local newspaper. <laughs> and eventually a Kinko's FedEx office opened up down the street from us, which put us at a disadvantage and we closed the shop. So I started doing consulting as a Macintosh expert at the time. And after about a year of that, my husband's also a consultant at the time. He's a Unix and security system admin. And I decided to just look for a, a contract job like the ones he had. I put in a job link into DICE, which is a board for mostly a lot of contingent jobs in mm-hmm. IT. And I got a really fast callback from a recruiter saying, you have 10 years of system administration experience. I said, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sure, I do. And um, they sent me out on a job interview, which was for Synopsys for one month um, to backfill for the woman who was their Macintosh technologist because she needed a break. They were a startup at the time, about a thousand employees. And it turned, I said, it turned into... 23-year career. I did system admin, Macintosh. Uh, We moved all PCs. I led all the training for all those PCs, which of course training is one of my loves, and then eventually managed the help desk for 18 years, which I also love because you're working with the new ones, um, worked with students from a local community college, went to conferences, which HDI, which my boss pointed me at at the very beginning, which is a professional organization that helps people that are in those support managers. I took a job on, I took a class on IT help desk management and learned about metrics and phones and all those things that are involved in that support side of IT. That sounds incredible. Such a a storied career, (laughs) but it sounds like there's that theme of education all the way through, even as help desk or global IT solutions, whatever you want to call it, you're still teaching the end user. And it all really began with that sixth grade teacher. Tell us a story about that. Like what, what it was so impactful about that teacher. And if you could tell us a story about that time, that would be fantastic. Well, you know, I think I even still have some things that I, you know, like a package that she sent us that I have saved in the dwindling box of mementos. But in the sixth grade at the school I went to, there were two sixth grade classes. Um, one of the classes, the, the teacher was very tech side of the brain oriented person. The other teacher, she was very artistic. And so what they did was they swapped us for Spanish music and art and math and science. So the two teachers essentially switched classes so they could teach their strength into to the classes. And, you know, Mrs. Meyer was great. She was the math person, uh, but, you know, she wasn't fun. And Miss Dom was really fun. <laughs> um, and so she did creative things like in our Spanish class, instead of just learning the dialogue out of the ALM textbook, we made up our own dialogues. Everything was artistic. Everything was colorful in her classroom. So I love color and things like that. I just, she was just very inclusive and I think inspiring. And I thought, and she inspired all of us. So I wanted to be a teacher like that. I would love to hear about what are some of the things that you're doing to teach today? I know that's still something that you're passionate about. You're working with a lot of professional organizations to uplift the next generation of professionals. What are some things that you're doing to teach today? Well, at Cabrillo, I'm adjunct faculty, which pretty much translates to part-time. 
Um, and so officially, I was hired to teach this one class called Tech Support as a Profession. Um, there are three full-time faculty, and there's a couple of us that are part-time faculty. We're a pretty small college, around 4,000 students uh, when we're at capacity. Computer information systems and computer science is one department, two in a box, I call it. So computer science is the other side of our programs. The class that I teach is the support operations components of IT. It's incident management, problem management, change management, knowledge management, all of those things that you probably are familiar with in working with the support side of your organizations. The other classes are like Python and Unix Linux and security fundamentals and hardware software fundamentals. And so the funny thing is that, is that the team that teaches, the, the different teachers that teach those classes, they're very much techie. And I'm always very much on the customer service side. So none of them actually wanted to teach this class because none of them actually ever worked in IT. So I came along at, and it just was so serendipitous. I retired. I called my friend who worked at Cabrillo. I told him I'm retiring. I'd love to be a guest speaker in your classes. I love working with students. And he happened to have this job opening. So that was the beginning. I got the job to teach this one class. We very quickly got involved in other things. So we have an apprenticeship grant that is a, a, was originally a three-year grant. Now it's gone to five years. And it's an apprenticeship grant under the American Apprenticeship Initiative to you know, get more apprenticeship opportunities. What's one thing that people today get wrong about technical education that you'd like to help change today? Ooh, interesting question. One thing that I come up against a lot is, especially here in Silicon Valley, right, is that computer science is the end all and the be all. And a lot of kids say, well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a programmer. I don't do math. Um, and so there's a lot of other types of jobs tons of other types of jobs in, in that technical pathway besides programming. Certainly a language is really important. Um, and we do, you know, Python is a core piece of our program and security Python is really important. But that concept that you, you have to be like this computer nerdy person to be looking at a job in tech. Um, and the difference between computer science and information technology that that's plays into that space as well. When I do, I do before the pandemic, we used to do in-person things. Remember in-person things? Um, <laughs> do in-person career fairs at high schools. And, you know, I'd get a group of students, sometimes mixed gender, and, you know, ask them if they were thought they might want a job in tech. I'm like, I'm not a technical person. Well, do you have a phone? Are you the person that helps figure out the phone stuff with your friends? Yeah, well, yeah. So it's, it's that whole joy of puzzles, so that the fact that you might need to be this computer nerdy person that you don't see yourself as, that that's something that I come up against quite often. And then once people get into, let's say they do a cyber camp and they start, this is fun. You know, for me, once I found information technology as a job and that whole, you know, after being teaching and owning my own business and all those things, I love doing this still as a retired person because I love doing it. I, I sit in front of the computer because and do stuff on the computer because it's fun. But also one of our chief uh, scientists at Synopsys, he was, you know, he was amazing. He didn't even own a phone because when he went home, he didn't want to deal with it. So, you know, that, that whole thing that you have to be this geeky, always just into hardware person, there's a lot more to IT than just that. 
Right. It's easy to get caught up on that aspect, especially from like a cybersecurity perspective. I find myself sometimes just really focusing on like cybersecurity as a whole rather than just focusing on, you know, information technology. There's a lot of aspects and components to it all. And mm-hmm. I, I really like the sentiment that you were saying about helping students and the youth understand, you know, other opportunities besides computer science. I know early in my career, I was also really focused on just trying to make my way into computer science, but that I knew deep down that wasn't what I wanted to do. What mm-hmm. do you think is your strength when speaking to those that need to, you know, learn more about the information systems field as a whole? Like, what do you think your strength is as a communicator to make a breakthrough and help people make the right decisions on that front? They say that the students need to see people that look like them. And, you know, as a woman and clearly not a, you know, a person with a pocket protector and a person who can communicate, I exhibit a different person than they might have seen. Girls might see themselves. We still need more girls in IT jobs. Certainly, you know, of my students, I have a team of uh, students that are student assistants to do support for students. And they're all boys. And I, you know, and I'd love to have more girls in IT. But I worked for a lot of women. And I worked for a CIO that was a woman. And she was a CIO for 18 years. That's pretty uncommon, one, to have a CIO that long. And, and then to have a CIO that's a woman and her senior director was a woman and her director was a woman. And then I worked for her. So, you know, to have that chain. And I think that's a lot of why I was successful and was able successful in many, many ways, not just longevity. I had a lot of successes in my work there also, because I was lucky to be in that group. It's still a boys club. So I think, you know, presenting the, this person, that is not from that world is one of the big factors. So I try to be, uh, you know, upfront and active with our group, which again, I'm the only woman on our faculty. Tell us a little bit about the different groups that you're involved with. What are you doing for those groups? What are the group's missions? And also maybe even how people can get involved. Yeah, you know, professional associations have always been part of every career that I've had. And as I've mentioned, I've had a couple. So, you know, even from when I was in college and going to be a teacher, our teachers encouraged us to get involved in the, you know, American Teachers Association, in the physical education teachers. I don't remember all the names of the associations, but they used to encourage us to be involved and to go to conferences and to volunteer in those associations. And those helped us to see what that industry was going to be like. I don't see that same type of thing happens the same way nowadays. In fact, it, you know, in the schools, were you guys encouraged to be in professional associations in college? Not really. No, not really. Yeah. I mean, when I first started Synopsis, again, you know, uh, that was 1995. A lot of our original faculty were from MIT and RIT, and they were all really involved in uh, USENICs at the time. And Synopsis really encouraged professional associations. That's kind of waned over the years. So I'm I'm involved with HDI, which is IT Service and Support Professionals. It you know originally started out as a help desk focused organization, but just like IT support you know has evolved and grown, there's many more aspects to IT service and support than just people that answer the phones. In fact. 
Everybody answers the phones now. Everybody helps people remotely. So HDI is for support service and support operations. It focuses on the management and the people. And when I first went, you know, I was able to have a group of people who I could call upon. And that's the biggest thing about any professional association is that it's birds of a feather. It's people who you can say like, my CIO says, I need to figure this out. I have no idea where to start. People you can call upon to get help with those things. So HDI has chapters. We have a chapter here in San Francisco. It's the Bay Area chapter. We have regular monthly activities. We used to meet in person. We'll meet in person again. But for instance, this Wednesday, we're doing a, a one-day conference called the Big Event Unmasking Employee Engagement. And so all of the sessions that we're doing this Wednesday are all about employee engagement, which I think now as we're going back into the office after being working from home for a year, there's a there's a bigger big focus again on are your employees happy? There's going to be a, an even bigger deficit of available workers in tech. So retention becomes again an important thing. So unmasking employee engagement. So we've put this together. It's five different chapters working together. San Francisco, Sacramento, Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles. And because we want to do, you know, coast to coast, we're going the DC capital area chapter. We're doing this together. Ben Brennan, who is pretty well known in our circles, he used to work for Yahoo, then Verizon. His claim to fame is about employee engagement, measuring employee engagement. And he currently has a company that is involved in just that. So that local community, those local people, part of why I've been involved in it a long time is because I have a lot of friends there. We've made friends. We meet at conferences. We do local events together. And we really all look forward to seeing each other in person again after being. But Zoom has been an amazing tool for this whole time. So. Zoom has definitely helped keep us all together. Terry, there's someone out there that feels like they're going it alone, whether they're studying for certs or they're, they're reading books, but they feel like they're alone on this journey through education and technology. What piece of advice would you have for that person uh, as they listen to this podcast? Well, if they are going it alone, but they feel like they want some help, um, sometimes I think technical folks tend to think they're okay being alone, but you know, people can really help you. So there are lots of groups, LinkedIn, certainly there are groups of people who can help. There's an IT specialist group. I know in security, you guys have a lot of groups that are focused on that. Um, the the, the certific certifications that are those initial certifications, many of them are CompTIA who have a lot of support within their structure. We have an officer actually in our Portland chapter that's from CompTIA. Um, local if, local activities like on Meetup here in Santa Cruz, we have a group called Santa Cruz Works, and they have a monthly meetup called New Tech Meetup, and they they gather all these technical people together to hear about technical things, startups. So developing in your own level of comfort a way to find people who are your birds of a feather, and Professional associations are one way to do that. In our HCI chapter, we're always looking for student. We would love to have more student input. And if you are going to school at the community college level and the university level, there are lots of student organizations. I think those people skills will serve you. And if they're not your happy place, you know, mm -hmm. find 
a way to be a little bit happy by in, in groups, even though you may feel you're an introvert. In fact, that's a really good topic. Introverts and extroverts. Introverts, often people say, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, then I can't do that. But you can, and your career will be served if you learn how to be, how to create those relationships, because they will be important to your career. Terry, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. For the folks who want to stay up to date with you, everything you have going on with HDI, what are the best ways that people can do that? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best and easiest way to get in touch with me. It's Terry Oropesa, and my profile is public. Reach out, say you you heard you heard it here. I do like to hear where you uh, where we connected and what your interest is so that I can accept you as a connection. Great. We will be sure to drop your LinkedIn and information in the show notes for everyone to reach out. Uh, really appreciate the time and we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.